Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Alrighty, what's going on? It is July 15th, the new tax day. Thank you, COVID. Um, and uh, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for listening. The show is made possible by patrons like Gene and Ben, Paul and Michelle, Eugene and Trudy and Lori and David and Brent and Juanita and Shan. I appreciate the support. I uh, couldn't do it without you. So uh, we're going to Plan B, North Carolina. Plan B, in effect. Plan B. And Phase 2. Phase 2, Plan B. That's where we are. It's where we're going to remain. We may go to a Plan C, and we may have to go back to a Phase 1, but not a Phase 3, and not a Plan A. All of this will become clear uh, in a minute. The governor made his announcement about uh, the schools reopening. Spoiler alert, they're not really and um, the continuation of our current status quo phase two shall remain in effect. Details uh, in a minute. First, details right now about your bed. It's probably old and saggy, and uh, is there a big like uh, crater in the middle of it where uh, you, you sleep and you just kind of roll into this big pit in the middle of the mattress? That's not good for you. Are you really getting a good night's sleep on your mattress? Are you really? Like, do you, do you know what it's like? Do you remember what it's like to have a really comfortable mattress that when you go to sleep, you fall asleep, and when you wake up, you feel rested? Do you remember what that feeling is like? You can get that feeling again by going to Mattress Man, right? You can go into one of one of their four stores in Asheville, Arden, Hendersonville. Just lay on the mattress. You'll fall asleep, and then you wake up. You feel rested. No, I'm kidding. You, they probably they don't they don't want you falling asleep in their stores. Although I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time <laughs> that that has happened uh, if somebody goes into the store. They are practicing all of the social distancing and the masking and the sanitizing and everything else. So, uh, you know, rest assured, you're going to be safe when you go in there. They have the single-use pillow covers and all of that. Uh, but if you would prefer, you can shop for all of their inventory online at mattressmanstores.com. And uh, you can check out all of the Restonic mattresses. These are the Biltmore Collection mattresses by Restonic out of Fayetteville, uh, so North Carolina made. They also have uh, the Nature's Spa. Uh, this is the uh, latest brand of mattresses by Paramount Sleep. And these are the mattresses that are at Blackberry Farm in Tennessee, for example. They're also sold through Bloomingdale's. So great mattresses. They have uh, something for everybody Tons of different price points and different kinds of mattresses as well. So if you want an inner spring mattress, they'll hook you up with that. Or you can get a memory foam like Christy and I have uh, that we bought years ago before Mattress Man was even uh, an advertiser on the program. So uh, I, I, I'm telling you, get the mattress where I got mine. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. It was the announcement that parents and teachers and students have been waiting to hear for more than a month. Will North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper open the K-12 schools in August? Today we announced that North Carolina schools will be open for both in-person and remote learning with key safety precautions to protect the health of our students, teachers, staff, and families. This is the plan B that we ask schools to prepare. It's a measured, balanced approach that will allow children to attend but provide important safety protocols like fewer children in the classroom, social distancing, face coverings, cleaning, and more. All right, and so what is Plan B, uh, and what will this look like for schools, for teachers, for parents, for students? Joining me now uh, to help make some sense of all of this is Lindsay Marcello. She is the associate editor at the Carolina Journal. Uh, welcome, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Certainly. Thanks for making some time for us. I appreciate it. You can read Lindsay's work, by the way, at carolinajournal.com. So uh, give us sort of the thumbnail sketch on what is uh, what were plans A, B, and C. What, what was that about? 
So the state health department and the Department of Public Construction required schools, all the school districts, to come up with three plans, ranging from most restrictive to least restrictive. Or actually flip that, least restrictive to most restrictive. Plan A was the one that had the fewest restrictions. Uh, you'd see it typically like a normal school day with some moderate social distancing. Plan B was more stringent. And you had more restrictions and a requirement to have fewer children in the school building at the same time. Plan C was the most restrictive, and that was just remote learning only. And so he chose B. Tough call, yes. do you think? Because uh, I remember seeing some polling recently that showed uh, parents, uh, North Carolinians, were basically split, it seemed like, pretty evenly, a third, a third, a third between all of the plans. Yes, there was a Elon poll that came out, I believe, last month or earlier this month that showed that North Carolinians are split on what they want to do. Uh, you can see this with teachers as well, with um, certain Facebook groups. Some really just want to do remote learning only. Uh, some want to just do full-blown, just normal school day only. Uh, so it was kind of a lose-lose situation for Cooper that any decision he made was going to make somebody somewhere unhappy. Well, and of all of the the options, or of the three options, I should say, uh, B sort of uh, I don't know splits the baby, right? It's like you, you you're doing <laughs> hybrid uh, this hybrid between uh, yes, we're kind of opening, but also remote learning, and so you can kind of maybe draw some allies from the pro plan A or pro plan C camps. It seems like that's mm -hmm. sort of you got more room for growth in support in that way. Um, is there um, is there any kind of uh, local uh, control that the school districts are going to have, or is this just the state saying, this is the plan you're going to have to follow? So there's a little bit of wiggle room that schools have, but it's only in the sense that they can decide how to implement these plans. So they come, the state is coming down from a top-down approach saying you have to do plan B. You could do plan C, you could do anything that's more restrictive, but you can't do anything that's less restrictive. So then they say, okay, this is what you have to do under plan B. And this is what you have to do under plan C. Now go forth and figure out how to actually do that. They provide some guidance, some recommendations, but it, it is up to the individual like school districts to actually decide how to do that. So for example, Wake County uh, under plan B, they're, they're working on, okay, so how do we alternate a schedule so not all of our children are in the school at the same time? So they're thinking maybe we'll do like an A-B schedule. You have a certain cohort of students go to school Monday, Wednesday, and then do remote learning Tuesday, Thursday, and you flip that for a cohort B, and then everybody do remote learning Friday. Uh, so they have some, some flexibility in deciding how to do that, but not much. It sounds like sort of the, go the governor's approach on, um, on some of the reopening uh, criteria that they set about or uh, for the counties, right? The guidance that they were sending mm -hmm. down to the counties, in, in other words, create a baseline or a, a floor uh, and local agencies and governments can do more. They can be more restrictive, but they can't be less restrictive. That's right. Similar. That, that's exactly it. Yes. So um, why? And I think this was asked by uh, not uh, Carolina Journal reporters, <laughs> because you guys don't get to ask questions at the press conferences. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, uh, somebody from the uh, WRAL, I think Travis Fain, asked the question about uh, the different population groups and, and could districts have control over how they uh, how they structure the school setting for kids that are young versus kids that are older, because all the data shows from all over the world that uh, the kids, especially young kids, not really transmitters of the virus. They don't get sick mm -hmm. from the virus. So it seems like it would be safer for, you know, K through, I don't know, six or something for them to be in person. But then as you get older, middle school, high school, um, and, and those uh, the infection rates become a little bit more riskier than maybe you do more remote learning for those kids. Uh, will districts be able to do something like that? It doesn't appear so. Cooper is um, going for a more of a blanket approach that K through 12, you're following this plan, and that includes wearing face masks. So they're even requiring children as young as, you know, kindergarten age children to wear these face masks. And I imagine that's going to be a challenge for these younger children because, you know, try to get a, a little one to wear a mask is not the easiest thing in the world, um, let alone just trying to get them to wash their hands regularly. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a challenge, I'm sure. Um, 
but the the Cooper administration is not leaving that kind of wiggle room. And it's my understanding that there has been some guidance from health experts that say that children under the age of 11 don't have to wear masks. Um, if I remember correctly, the mask mandate that Cooper's administration issued, children under 12 don't have to wear masks. Yeah. Um, but in schools, it appears that even children under 12 will have to wear masks at some point. Um, to that point, like I wonder how many of the kids and teachers in the more rural districts um, have a familiarity with mask wearing to the extent that students might have in the more urban areas. Uh, you know, I think mm -hmm. it just makes more sense. I mean, rural areas, I mean, they've been socially distancing before the pandemic <laughs> even began, right? So, uh, right. right. So like this idea, like if you're living out in the sticks, you, you can, you know, spend your whole summer not being around a lot of people, maybe wearing a mask, what, once every two weeks or something, if you're going with mm -hmm. the folks to the store or something. But other than that, it's not really a part of your life. And now all of a sudden it's going to be required daily. And if the kids haven't been sort of, I don't know, taught that at home already, uh, I, I, I just I think there's going to be a lot of challenges for teachers mm -hmm. trying to make sure that the kids are wearing their masks in these settings. Right. It's going to be a headache, I think, for a lot of teachers. Um, they're going to have to keep watch over every child in the classroom, make sure they're wearing the masks, they're social distancing, they're washing their hands. Uh, I imagine it's hard enough already to control a room of 20 some um, young ones. Yeah. I'm trying to do that. Plus making sure they're staying clean and, and um, following these health protocols. It, it's not going to be easy. And you can kind of sympathize with why teachers would want to do remote learning. Um, they don't have to worry about that aspect of it. But then remote learning comes with its own challenges of, you know, rural areas don't have that broadband access. Uh, lower income children don't have that broadband access. So there's with each plan, there there is a drawback and remote learning. There's a big drawback for the rural and lower income areas. It's, it's one of the things I've said throughout this entire pandemic when trying to assess elected officials' responses, I understand and recognize and appreciate the, the dilemma that they have in that they're usually presented with just a range of bad options. And then as mm -hmm. soon as they pick one, you know, everybody jumps on them and says, oh, you you picked the bad option. It's like, well, that's really all we had to choose from. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I get it. Every All of these have drawbacks and benefits. Um, and so mm -hmm. uh, what they're proposing as part of uh, Plan B Face coverings, as you mentioned, for all teachers, staff, and students, K through 12. Um, they say the state's going to give some some of this, uh, what, some masks to the schools, right, to help with this? Right. Yes. Yeah, so Cooper said that they will provide, I believe it's at least five masks for each student, uh, faculty member, and teachers. And those are reusable masks that I think you can you can rewash and wear again. Right. Um, they're going to limit the number of people in the building, much like they did with businesses and restaurants. Did they, mm -hmm. did, did they assign, I didn't hear a percentage, like a 50% capacity or something. Did they do something like that? No. So initially they had a 50% capacity, but they, they have switched that in the new guidance. It just says that you need to limit capacity in a way that make sure that social distancing is possible. So that, get, that does give a little bit more flexibility for the schools. Uh, but once again, not a lot but they did drop that 50%. Okay. Uh, daily temperature checks of the kids on the way in, and then they have to have some sort of a space, I guess, if the kid has a fever, how to you know right. separate the kid, isolate the, the child outside of uh, the, the rest of the herd. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, regular cleaning. Uh, they want a scheduled time for a regular hand washing. Limit the sharing of items in the classroom, which... This was kind of Good funny. Good luck with that. Right. Well, yes. But I also remember there was a, I remember the outrage when, and this usually happens at the beginning of every school year, I would get mm. messages from parents who were so mad that they went out and bought all these school supplies for their kids. And then when the kid shows up at school, they got to dump all the supplies into the, like the communal bin. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, how dare you? You know, you're teaching my kid, uh, you know, not to respect personal property rights and all this stuff. So I'm kind of like, I saw that one. I kind of gave a, a chuckle like, oh, I guess we're going back to the old school model of what you bought you bring and you get to keep mm -hmm. <laughs> no more yeah i guess so <laughs> yeah um it is kind of funny because i remember a lot of criticism too about the digital learning uh, i remember a lot sure. of criticism about homeschoolers oh that the kids aren't getting socialized and all this stuff and and a lot of those arguments 
don't seem to be at play for, <laughs> in yeah, the pandemic. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting how that camp kind of switched a little bit, that you do have a lot more of um, Democrats who were uh, very pro-public school, very skeptical. Yeah. I don't want to say just say anti, anti, but skeptical of homeschooling, of uh, virtual schools. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, we got to do remote learning only. Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't know if there's so much on the camp of like, let, let's do homeschool, but they do want to do that kind of remote learning. Um, so it's very interesting. Republicans are more like you saw like Speaker Moore and Senate Leader Berger. They're saying we need a rope in the schools, send kids back. It's better for kids to be in the school for that social emotional learning. Uh, so it is interesting how those those camps kind of flipped a little and um, ended up where they are. It's almost as if they're defining their own positions based on what their opponents are doing. <laughs> it's almost as if. Yeah, seems a little typical in our day and age. Yeah, It does. I mean, I dare I suggest uh, that politics might be involved in uh, the government-run schools, uh, but... Um, it, it, it and I understand that this is part of the challenge. And I'm a I don't know if you know I'm a lowercase l libertarian conservative mm-hmm. type of philosophy. And so I have long argued against you know government control of public education as it is. And it's it's sort of the the libertarian prophecy here where you create a government system that is now so vital and and woven into the fabric of most people's lives as the schools mm-hmm. are. It dictates everything from where we live uh, to what our schedules are when we take vacations right all of this stuff and then when this so now when the schools are shuttered all of a sudden all these people who a lot of times were relying on the schools for food um Mm -hmm. for the kids they're now shut down and now it's like oh my gosh the dependency is exposed for what it was right like you've got people that now need the schools open um right and and, like that's sad to me that's sad and i just i kind of wonder if we had more school choice going back decades maybe we would have a lot of different options for parents to choose from now. <laughs> you yeah. know? Well, it is interesting that the, the homeschooling numbers are going up. So parents are deciding, you know what, maybe I can do this. Yeah. And they're pulling their skids out of the schools. Um, it is interesting to see, you know, private schools are following, they're, they're coming up with some plans too. Um, and some of them mirror kind of what the, the public schools are doing, but at least the private schools, they had, those plans out earlier and there was more communication with the parents on okay this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it because for right now like i mean parents had to wait to find out from cooper like when what the schools are going to have to do and initially he was supposed to announce on july 1st what they were going to do and then he punted and it was a couple weeks later you know yesterday that he finally announced it so there was a lot of waiting and you know with that waiting comes anxiety but at least if you're you're homeschooling, you know what the plan is. If you're in a private school, you know what the plan is. Uh, charter schools are still in that kind of little gray area where they are public schools, so they had to follow the um, district plan. But yeah, I mean, school choice would have allowed for more flexibility here and would have allowed for parents to have a bit more control over what the fall semester would look like. Um, you mentioned some of the response, the reaction from the Republican leaders, uh, House Speaker mm-hmm. Tim Moore. Uh, called it a scattershot approach. Governor Cooper's one-size-fits-all economic closures and policies hinder broad recovery without protecting the vulnerable, he said. Um, mm-hmm. And Senator Berger said that uh, Cooper's plan gets students halfway to where they need to be, but much like jumping over a creek, <laughs> halfway doesn't cut it. <laughs> I felt like that was a very Southern response. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. Um so the, it says the governor, he goes on to say the governor permits parents to choose full remote learning. Uh, he must also permit parents to choose full in-person learning as well. And this was, uh, th- this was I think, a, an important distinction because, he, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, he set the baseline and they said you can be more restrictive but, but not less so. So it's not really like he's saying, hey, we're going to do, you know, uh, you have your choice and local districts can choose because if a local district wanted to do full in-person teaching um, with maybe a couple of staffers and teachers who are vulnerable and keep them separate and have them do, you know, remote in or something or um, reassign them to some other task for uh, the time being. Like, they don't have that option. Uh, and mm-hmm. so he, he did restrict that. He did not give districts this ability. Right. And we saw um, Catherine Truitt, the Republican state superintendent candidate, she came out saying, 
we need to have a local regional approach to this. Let each individual district come up with a plan that works best for them. Because obviously you have these hot spots of where COVID-19 has um, uh, popped up yeah. and some rural areas. They, they just don't have as many cases. Uh, so you can make the argument that it would be better for those rural areas to have full-time in-person instruction uh, with still some safety precautions in place, but you don't really need to do that um, plan B or plan C. Uh, but you can kind of understand like why Wake County would want to be more careful. They have a lot more cases in Wake County, but there really just isn't any of that control, any of that choice. Um, yeah, Cooper tried to say, okay, yeah, we're giving them some ability, some wiggle room to pick what they want to do. But like you said, they, they can't do a, le- a less restrictive option. So what choices are really? Yeah. Um, the uh, the final thing I want to ask you about was the response from the teachers union. Don't call mm-hmm. it a union union. The <laughs> NCAE, um, they seem pretty uh, they seem pretty happy with Governor Cooper on all this. Yeah, so they really wanted remote learning. I mean, they were pushing for that earlier, but I think you know they tend to be a little bit in lockstep with the Democratic Party. You think so? Uh, I think th- I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I know some folks were not surprised by that. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if there was some conversations there to kind of figure out what needed to be done uh, to bring more teachers on board. Um, but th- I don't think this is going to be a plan that a lot of teachers are happy about. Um, maybe it's a mix. I don't know. But the NCAE, they released a press, uh, press release that said, you know, we need more resources, more money. Um, to to meet these safety um, plans, mm-hmm. and they they were calling on the general assembly to do more, uh, to to bring more to the table. Um, not but, really surprising. <laughs> no, right? Yeah, to blame the general assembly run by Republicans, uh, right. and you know, applauding Cooper's plan. And I took it a couple of weeks ago. You mentioned earlier when Cooper came out and was supposed to make that announcement at the beginning of the month, and he didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, "We, uh, you know, we need to get more buy-in." I, I understood that to mean he needed to get the blessing of the teachers' union, the NCAE. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's how I interpreted it, and it kind of seems like that. What that's what has occurred, and he did hold out the possibility that uh, that we dial this all back down and we send everybody home right. again, and everybody goes back to remote learning if there's an increase in certain metrics that the governor and his uh, DHHS secretary uh, deemed to be the most important data points. I disagree with some of those, but that's a different mm-hmm. topic. Um, so I think it's it, it seems like they've they've come to uh, an agreement that that the hybrid plan uh, would get the NCAE on board, so he doesn't have to worry about them taking pot shots at him in an election cycle. Right. I gotta believe. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't think it's a stretch to to think that. I yeah. don't. I mean, it seems pretty likely. Anything else you want to add on this uh, that you think is important or interesting for people to know before we let you go? I think just to add that um, this is going to be really challenging for working families, for people who have to go to work uh, during the week to try and figure out when they have to be home for their young children. Uh, Daycare options are probably limited right now because of the pandemic and maybe because of demand. But uh, this is going to be um, an uphill battle for a lot of parents to try and figure out how to do these um, alternate schedules. So I have sympathy for them. That's a great point. It's almost like you'd rather there be a constant open or closed because it's easier to plan rather than two mm-hmm. days on, two days off, one day back, one day off. One and- It's a lot more stable, a lot more predictable. Yeah. Uh, Hey, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for sharing it with me. Lindsay Marcello, the associate editor of the Carolina Journal. You can see her work at carolinajournal.com. Thanks, Lindsay. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Have you ever seen a photo of the Blue Ridge Mountains so stunning that you couldn't look away? Well, that was me when I first saw Stacy Redmond's work at redrockphotonc.com. Stacy is from Western North Carolina, shooting landscapes for two decades after he realized life is short. You don't get time back. So do what you love. Don't regret not spending time with family or chasing your dream. His work is brilliant, striking, and easily affordable for any space. See for yourself at redrockphotonc.com. Use promo code PETE for 20% off. That's redrockphotonc.com. 
Have you been trying to set up or improve your business's website? It can be overwhelming for any of us. I know it was for me. So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you with logos, graphics, photos, and online stores, search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security. For professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you so you can adapt quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. The show is also made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Current events have impacted us all in many different ways, and maybe you need to sell your house. But you're thinking, I don't want the traffic coming through my house right now. Well, Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, they've got investors ready to tour your home virtually and potentially make a cash offer, saving you the hassle and stress of buyers having to walk through your home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena Patton. She's the only agent I would call if I'm buying or selling a house. You should, too. Call her today. 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. The show is also made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Are you ready for disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for military surplus that's real? For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old-school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff all the time, American-made, because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, dog tags, gear, Old Grouch's on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and at oldgrouch.com. Alrighty, so North Carolina is going to plan B, the hybrid model, which is not fully open, not fully closed, but kind of a little bit of both. And Governor Cooper at his press conference said, look, he understands teachers are essential, but like not, I guess, as essential as grocery store workers who they've been like working you know, interacting with people and customers like the entire pandemic, right? So like not that essential, or I guess probably not as essential as uh, restaurant workers who were also going back to work and having to deal with customers face-to-face, right? All those customer-facing retail operations, like all of them, they're all more essential, I guess, than teachers who were working just from home during all of this. But now now it's like they're essential, but not as essential as some other people in the industry. By the way, this is going to pose some problems because parents are starting to connect the dots here on some of this stuff. But here, hang on. Let's listen to Governor Cooper real quick. My mom was a teacher, as I've said many times. I've spent time with teachers in every corner of our state. It didn't take a pandemic for me to understand that teachers are some of our most essential employees. Pulling from their own pockets to buy supplies, getting in early just to stay late, and even working extra jobs to stay in the profession that they love. In March, our teachers and school staff dove headfirst into the challenge of remote learning and meal distribution. They rose to the occasion, Mm. and now we're asking them to rise even higher and dig even deeper. So we must move ahead with the resources needed to protect them. Ensuring this plan protects not just students, but teachers and staff too is the top priority. I strongly encourage all superintendents and principals to meet with and listen to teachers and staff as they shape their plans. (laughs) I know this will be challenging work for them, but I have faith in North Carolina's teachers. Yeah, okay, so clearly Cooper positioning himself as on the side of teachers and uh, the NCAE, the Teachers Union, not a union, don't call it a union, but although it is, um, here's what the NCAE's response to this decision was on the reopening. Oh, by, uh, by the way, how much money do you think teachers saved this year? Well, seriously, like, and in the last, you know, the last few months and now the upcoming school year, If you're not having to buy all of the supplies for the kids this year and the last half of last year, right? Like this is, this is a, uh, this has been economically advantageous, right? You notice that's never part of this discussion. It is on like higher education, uh, uh, in that field and in the colleges and universities that are going to start charging 
students like what was the deal harvard uh is is saying they're just going to go to completely you know online learning distance learning only uh but the tuition's the same well why is that see you're starting to you're starting to get an idea of what is and isn't essential and a lot of these institutions and look there's a there are examples of this all throughout the economy okay and like here's my personal interaction my apartment building that Christy and I live in uh they uh, they shut down the gyms. They shut down the, uh, well, the singular. There's one gym. They shut down the fitness center. They shut down the lounge. They shut down the pool. They shut down all of the amenities that uh, everybody paid to get when they moved in. And when we asked about it, look, because I understand you got to shut down the gym, but like the lounge area, I'm thinking you can do some things there, like maybe open them up, open up all the doors, put some fans in there, disinfect because uh, there's a coffee machine in there, and it makes really good coffee, and I would very much like to get the coffee, you know, but whatever. Uh, I understood why you shut it down. The pool got reopened earlier, but everything else is still shut down. And when we asked about this, said, hey, how about, like, you know, throwing, like, a $25 rent reduction to everybody, not just us. I wasn't saying, like, oh, I want my rent reduced, but just suggesting a show of good faith, a show that, like, we're in this together, as everybody keeps saying, right? And you know what they said? They said the lease strictly uh, outlines this, that the uh, the rent you pay is for the unit. It is not inclusive of any amenities, any amenities. So this way, and I understand why they did it initially, right? So this way they can toss people off of the pool grounds if they're being obnoxious or whatever. They can restrict certain tenants that are problematic. They can keep them from using certain amenities if they're abusing them. Uh, and so it, it it allows them to do that. However, in this circumstance, it's kind of like you're now going to keep charging us the same amount of rent, even though all of these amenities are taken offline. We're not benefiting from any of this stuff. And and now you're telling me that, oh, well, that rent was just for the unit. Well, then why did your glossy brochure promote all of these other things, right? We both know what the deal was here, right? This is sort of a bait and switch kind of operation. And this, and I'm not picking on the this apartment management. I'm, there's... They're all over the place, right? This is this is a common decision that's being made. But then we get the notice that your rent's been increased for the upcoming year if you'd like to re-sign your lease. And I wrote them back. I said, do you think you've earned a 3% increase in rent? And I ticked off all the amenities because there are others I've not listed. But I ticked them all off and I said, do you think you've earned an increase in pay here? Seriously. I don't. I think you're doing a worse job now than when I moved in. So this the, these types of examples are all over the place. And as I mentioned with Lindsay, when you set up an entire society around one particular government institution, in this case, K-12 education, right? Everything is then uh, uh, focused on that operation. You literally have kids that rely, and parents, that rely on the schools for their food for five days out of the week Minimum two meals a day, right? These kids are going to school to get fed. And now you're like, oh, we got to keep the schools closed. So you're going to keep, what, feeding them out of the school but not teaching them at the school, right? Or or what, delivering the food to them, as some school districts did last uh, semester. And then when people point out like, hey, the infection fatality rate for kids is zero and uh, under the age of like middle school, Kids are not getting it. They're not spreading it. So why would you go through all of these? Um, uh, why would you adopt this plan and not allow kids back in school? And if you are a conservative or a Republican, you're now attacked. Oh, what's the matter? So now government schools are totally fine. You're bl- so they're blaming the victims now. So they create the dependency. And then when they say, OK, we're going to shut down the supply. And now everybody's jonesing for the fix. And people are like, hey, wait a minute. Uh, I, you know, I was not in favor of you creating the dependency in the first place. But these people are all now dependent. Like, you can't just shut that down on them. Oh, what's the matter? Are you saying that they're good, that get, getting uh, hooked on the dependency uh, to the institution? Like, that's a good thing? Oh, I see you're now a convert or you're a hypocrite. So blaming the victims, right? Recognizing that you guys built this system. And you created this dependency, and now you're abandoning them, right? Uh, That doesn't make me a supporter of your plan. As I've said before, if we had been down the path of school choice, 
decades ago, rather than protecting uh, a, a, a Prussian factory K-12 model that dates back over 100 years, rather than protecting this broken old model, if we had gone to a choice model, you would have all sorts of school options all over the place. And parents could pick and choose where they wanted to go. And if they've got a really young kid and there's a school that's like, hey, you know what, we're going to reopen and we're going to take some precautions, we're going to do this, but it's all going to be in person. And the family's like, you know what, I want to go, I want to have my kid go there. Because we don't have any vulnerable, high-risk populations in our house, anything like that. Now, maybe you've got another family that's like, well, you know, we take care of grandma and grandpa in our house, so we don't want the kid going to the school, um, and I'm already home as a caretaker, so you know what, I'll stay home and and homeschool as well with the kid, uh, so this way we don't bring COVID-19 into the house and put grandma and grandpa at risk. See, they would have options more options, and the freedom to choose. This is the libertarian prophecy, as I mentioned earlier. But the NCAE Teachers Union, they're all on board with this remote learning. They All of a sudden, it's kind of funny. Um, so they say educators want to be back in school buildings. We miss and value the relationships we have with students and their families. Yeah, you know what? Those families, though, you know what they're doing? Yeah, they're going bankrupt. That's what's happening to those families. They're going bankrupt because they can't afford to keep to stay at home with the kid and teach the kid. Because once again, their entire life model, the whole structure of their life was set up around K-12 education. GovCo comes in and says, you got to send your kids to the school. Here's the school. It's in this neighborhood. So the couple says, okay, well, we have two kids, so we're going to have to buy a house near that school in that school district. And uh, that means my commute is going to be an hour and a half each way, but it's worth it because we want to be near the school. So already you can see the impacts that people are having or, or that the, the K-12 model has on people's lives, where they work, how long their commute is, how much time away from home, right? But also you got to send both parents into the workforce now in order to afford the house near the school for the kid, right? So this is the, this is the way we have set up our society. And now all of a sudden, COVID-19 comes through and all of a sudden the teacher's like, you know what, maybe we should just do the distance learning thing. And it's kind of nice. Like I can tell everybody start doing something and read from this or do this other thing. And then uh, maybe I'll just kind of uh, mute myself and uh, black out my camera. Let me go throw a load of laundry in real quick. <laughs> Look, as one who works from home, I can tell you there are benefits. Now, there are downsides. There are downsides. What The downside for me is that I basically work 16 hours a day. It's what I did yesterday. I'm going to do it again today. It's basically all I do all day long is work now. But um, but I love my work, so that's a good thing. Now, I don't know if you can do that as a teacher. I don't know if there are students, you know, uh, like last night I was watching a Nashville City Council meeting for like 14,000 hours of my life. And um, I don't know if you're getting, you know, students that are uh, Zoom chatting you at, uh, at 10 o'clock, but it's possible, I guess. They say the careful approach Governor Cooper has taken in all of his reopening decisions has. This is like it's so funny to me. These people are the same ones who criticize everybody around Trump for praising Trump at every turn. And here they are praising Cooper. It's like, we love you, precious. You're the dear leader. This and that's the thing of, of anyone of any elected official. Roy Cooper least deserves this kind of cult of personality. I mean, first off, I think you have to have a personality in order to be a personality like that i think it's one of the requirements i'm pretty sure anyway um the careful approach governor cooper has taken in all of his reopening decisions has been deeply appreciated and while we understand that this was a difficult choice we must make the safety of our educators and students the first priority you notice they put educators first there because that is what the ncae is all about it's not the association of students it's not the association of best interest of students. It's the association of educators, right? So that's why they're listed first. The safety of our educators and students. Got to make that the first priority. Okay. Um, which, by the way, you can only make one of those the priority because if they're in compete, if they're if they are competing with each other on some policy or protocol, uh, you got to pick one. And which one you pick is going to be your higher priority. That's how priorities work. That's a quote, anyway, from Tamika Walker-Kelly, the president of the NCAE. Don't call it a union. Unfortunately, educators and parents have been presented with a false dichotomy. The public schools we love 
or our safety. We can have both. In order to safely reopen all schools in a way that will protect the health of both students and educators, a significant amount of resources is required. I know you're as shocked as I am to hear the NCAE demand more funding. I know, it's kind of crazy. So they want more money. Uh, If you want us to reopen, you're just going to have to pay a whole lot more money. The General Assembly has simply refused to appropriate it. The General Assembly must step up and do their jobs to provide the necessary funding for public schools so that we as educators can do our jobs to safely educate all of North Carolina's students NCAE members have been on the front lines of this pandemic since it began. We have supported and led families through the greatest period of uncertainty of our lifetime. Have they? I'm not being flippant or I'm not being antagonistic here, but or sarcastic. I'm, I'm just curious, like, has your teacher led you through the pandemic? Is that what your teacher did via via Zoom, via Google Hangouts or what did they? I think they got rid of the Hangouts, actually. Google Meet is what it's called now, right? Have they uh, have they done that for you? Have they been leaders through all of this? All right, so the NCAE is blaming the General Assembly, the Republicans, uh, for uh, not being able to reopen while praising Governor Cooper, the Democrat, for every decision he has made throughout the pandemic. So uh, he's just that fantastic. Uh, It's nice having the big D shield, I'll tell you. So what uh, House Speaker Tim Moore, he put out a statement and he said instead he's a Republican. He said instead of taking a local approach to economic closures and prioritizing North Carolina's vulnerable populations, the Cooper administration has consistently shuttered thousands of small businesses statewide and failed to implement a comprehensive plan to protect nursing homes. This was, by the way, in response to the... uh, the governor's announcement on schools. So the Republicans have an argument to make. And I know you're not going to hear this uh, in a lot of your legacy media outlets. You're darn sure not going to get it on social media. But Republicans have an argument to make here. And that argument is this, that the solutions the governor has uh, proposed are one size fits all solutions that aren't actually solving a lot of problems once you get outside of densely populated urban areas. Now, Governor Cooper, as a Democrat, he doesn't need the votes outside of the urban areas, generally speaking. He needs some, but he doesn't need a lot. He knows if he can keep his base in the urban areas, uh, you know, like Wake County, Mecklenburg County, uh, uh, New Hanover County, uh, Buncombe County, right? He can get uh, the because that's where all the Democrats live. Uh, You can get these Democrats, keep them motivated and get them to turn out in the polls. And by the way, you know, Roy Cooper announced his fundraising for the last quarter, and he raised like $5 million, and his opponent, Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, raised like two, two and a half. And surveys like, ha, 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 Governor Cooper, uh, outraising Forrest, he's going to blow him out of the water and all this. Remember, Roy Cooper only beat Pat McCrory by 10,000 votes. It was like 0.1%, okay? It was a, I mean, he squeaked out a victory. He knows that. His camp knows that, Right. They're very concerned. They should be concerned because nobody knows what's going to happen. And a lot of people are lying in the polls uh, uh, to the pollsters uh, about supporting Trump and Republicans and whatnot. So uh, there's a lot of unknowns in all of this. Okay. so that being said, this is the argument that Republicans are making, that the governor should provide more flexibility for local jurisdictions to make decisions as they see fit. And Cooper keeps putting in place these floors, these baselines, and then says you can go more restrictive but not less. But but the problem is, is that the baseline he's putting in place, sometimes that's too restrictive. See, he, so he is dictating terms to a lot of these businesses and school districts um, and uh, and local jurisdictions, local government agencies. Here's the response from Senator Phil Berger, the majority leader uh, in the Senate. Um, or the, uh, the Senate president pro tem. He says the governor's plan makes worse the very inequities a public school system is supposed to resolve. Students whose parents do not have the time or resources to supplement virtual schooling will fall even further behind simply because of the condition of their birth, and that's an unspeakable travesty. And parents who do not have the privilege of working from home cannot take off every other day from work. What are they supposed to do? The governor permits parents to choose full remote learning. He must also permit parents to choose full in-person learning as well. 
So here's an idea. Why couldn't you do something like this? This is me now, not uh, Phil Berger. Why couldn't you do something like, for example, all right, we have a school district and let's say there are 10 schools. How about we take the 10 schools and we say we're going to keep them all at, you know, 50, 60 percent capacity or whatever. And if you want to send your kids there, this is where they're going to be. Meanwhile, anyone who wants to uh, opt out, then we can do so. You opt out and you'll have the virtual learning and whatnot. Right. Why? And then you spread the populations among more schools. Now, yes, you're going to have bus scheduling and all that stuff to work out. But why not? Or tell parents, you know, if you want to go in person, this is where the building is. It's not ideal. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just spitballing. No bad ideas under the cone of creativity. Um, I also, he says, this is Phil Berger again, hey, I have serious questions about the requirement for masks on five-year-olds, which actually contradicts the Cooper administration's own guidance for child care centers. What happens when a kindergartner removes a mask? Does the governor really expect teachers to have any chance of enforcing this mandate? Superintendent of Public Instruction Mark Johnson put out a statement. He says, I want to ensure that students and educators who want to safely return to in-person learning have that opportunity while schools also provide high-quality alternatives for students and teachers who may not yet feel comfortable returning to classrooms. See, this I am an all-of-the-above solutions kind of guy. I want more choice, more freedom. And the only system that allows for that is a capitalist free market system. And that's why I am all about school choice, and I have been for years and years and years, for like almost my entire adult life. More opportunities for kids and parents to get the education that they want for their kid. He says, I don't support everything in Governor Cooper's plan, but I am 100% supportive of North Carolina students, educators, and families, and that we all work together to support schools the best we can. He says, while I am glad Governor Cooper provided more flexibility by lifting the 50% occupancy limits on schools, I would prefer we go further with a plan that is built around local control to facilitate greater flexibility for communities based on their metrics. That's the argument Republicans are making. But they're being treated as if they're trying to kill everybody by dishonest idiots and ideologues. And those are the people that are setting the narrative on social media. This is a piece now by, actually, Dallas Woodhouse. Um, yeah, at NC Civitas, Cooper's dreaded Plan B, part-time school. Uh, he says, Cooper's decision to adopt the Plan B part-time school option in the fall means half-empty school buildings and scrambling parents trying to not only figure out child care options, but also determine how and if they are able to keep working, putting many parents in a horrible dilemma of choosing to either provide for their family or staying in a safe environment while their kid is being educated remotely. Here's a quote from Civitas president and CEO Donald Bryson, quote, We know that many of the traditional public schools remote learning options were not effective for students. They did not succeed in delivering a sound, basic, and uniform education as required by the North Carolina Constitution. Right? This was at the heart of the whole Leandro lawsuit that's been going on for decades in this state. Okay? Right? This is this was this these were local families that sued uh, the the state and their counties and school boards and stuff demanding more funding for education, because it's in the state constitution that they have to provide a sound, basic education. Now we have parents that will not be able to work and employers who are going to lose good employees amid a struggling North Carolina economy. He says, quote, if North Carolina public schools are not going to educate students on a full-time basis, then parents should immediately receive an education savings account from the state, providing them the choice of a learning environment that works for them. Hallelujah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this will be rejected, of course, by the teachers who are demanding that, you know, their uh, uh, that their concerns are addressed. Right. That we want to open safely. We want to do this and we're going to need a whole bunch more money. And if you won't give us all this money, then we're just not going to do it. OK, you know what, then? Um, I check out. I'm out. Give all of the money to the parents and let them choose where to send the kids. And if that means they're going to homeschool their kids, so be it. Then let them do that. You can't even accommodate all of the kids that are going to be coming into your schools. 
the state's two largest school systems have uh, mandated uh, their B plans already, Wake County and Mecklenburg County. Um, and get this, after they made their decision, when they said they were going to implement the plan B, that they were uh, that that's what they were expecting, this was uh, July 1st. And when Wake and Mecklenburg made those decisions, the notice of intent to homeschool website, okay, the notice of intent to homeschool, that website that's run by the state, it crashed due to unprecedented demand. Did you know that? About two weeks ago. Yeah, the website that you got to go to in order to uh, uh, to give a heads up to the state government that uh, I, I know it's not that I'm ignoring my child's education, it's that I actually am uh, going to take uh, the lead in my child's education. Like that website where you go and say, I'm going to homeschool, thing crashed because people heard, wait a minute, you guys are doing this hybrid thing? Okay, screw that. Those parents should not have to pay a school district that's not educating their kids. They should not have to do that. Cooper's part-time plan comes with 126 pages of mandates, regulations, and guidelines. They will make receiving an education at school, when kids actually happen to be there, extremely difficult. Requirements like enforcing the social distancing with floor and seat markers, providing cleaning supplies, uh, disinfecting classrooms, doing daily health screenings for students and staff. Parents also, get this, are going to have to sign a form every day saying that you checked your kid's temperature before they get on the bus. Students are going to have temperature screenings every day at school before being allowed to access the building. This is actually, like, I get the feeling like this is more strict than what we're doing in nursing homes. Doesn't it seem like that? Anyway, here's a good question that Bob Lubke uh, asks. He's the director of policy and lead education analyst for the Civitas Institute. He said, quote, how are parents supposed to manage several kids on different schedules? That's a fantastic question, because right now all of these uh, questions are about like, okay, so you got a couple kids or you have a kid in a school, right? What if you have a couple kids and one's in elementary and one's in middle and another one's in high school? And now it's not a matter of not just different start times and end times, but it's different days that you have to go to school. You've got to now manage three different kids going to three different schools on different days of the week and who's going to virtual learn and who gets the one tablet, who gets access to the one laptop in your house, right? There are all sorts of problems with these models because the government is trying, again, this is the, the fatal conceit and it's the libertarian prophecy. You got everybody hooked on this one model, this one way of doing it, and you refused to let anybody get uh, you know, get into the marketplace and you stiff arm competition. And now what? Now you shut it all down. And all of a sudden you can't accommodate all of the different needs of all your different customers. You know what the best system is to do that? Free market competition. Yeah. Free market competition. This would allow all sorts of different options for people based on all sorts of different inputs, different factors. Things like, do I have a vulnerable grandma or grandpa living at home? Do I not have that? Am I a single parent? Do I have two income earners? Do I have one already stay-at-home parent that's uh, capable of doing the homeschooling, right? All of these different uh, inputs then create different outputs. They create different results, different choices. And that's what the free market system allows for. And the K-12 government model for education in this country does not allow for that. And we're seeing it in in all of these decisions. It cannot accommodate everybody. It can't. It was never designed to. It's designed to accommodate the government. It's not designed to accommodate the people, the customers, right? And if we had a system that was built up over the last century and a half that was more of a free market system versus a, a command control system, I suspect we'd be a little bit better off now. But that's my personal bias. What do I know? I'm just a podcaster. That's a wrap for this episode. I appreciate you listening. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way you can help me. And uh, thanks so much for the support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.